This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. I'm Bonnie St. John, best-selling author of Micro Resilience and How Great Women Lead, the first African-American to win Winter Olympic ski medals, and president and CEO of Blue Circle Leadership Institute. People fall down, winners get up, but the gold medal winner is just the person who gets up the fastest. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Despite having her right leg amputated as a child, Bonnie St. John became the first African-American to win medals in Winter Olympic competition as a ski racer. She explains how adversity taught her the keys to success and how women can find resilience to forge ahead through any of life's challenges. So, Bonnie, you were raised by a single mom who often didn't have money left at the end of the month. How did that experience shape your view about money? Well, I don't take anything for granted. I'm very appreciative. I'm very hardworking. I'm very inventive. And uh, I, you know, use a lot of elbow grease. Your leg was amputated when you were a child. You realized you could either cringe and hide or learn to meet the insults and gazes of other people. How did you decide what to do? I don't know. I mean, I think you can sit in a corner and feel sorry for yourself. And you can do that for a while. And I guess I got tired of it. So I got out of the chair and said, let me go do something. And, you know, it wasn't just the leg. I I had a tough childhood. My father left when my mother was pregnant with me. I she remarried an abusive man. I was I was I was sexually abused for years when I was a child. Um, there was a lot of hard stuff in my childhood. And so for me, it was I want to create a better life. I could sit down and just give up or I can go out and create something better. Where'd you get that vision from, though, as a child? Well, my mother had pulled herself up from her bootstraps, and she'd have had a tough time. She also did a lot of trying to stay positive and fighting her own demons. And so that's a legacy I got from her was that we can choose positivity and that you can work at it. You go to the gym to make your muscles stronger. You can read positive books. You can, you know, say positive things. You can exercise your positivity. So one of the books I wrote is Live Your Joy, which was really about that. Some people said, Bonnie, you should be an axe murderer. You know, you had such a horrible childhood. But uh, so I wrote Live Your Joy in answer to that is to say, here's 10 things I learned about how to be positive no matter what. You tell a story of a nurse who helped push you through pain when you were a child. Can you tell us about that experience? Well, after I had my leg amputated, you you don't just walk out and get a size six leg. 
you know, they have to make a custom leg for you. And you have to be able to bear weight. So my my stump, you know, where my leg was amputated, you have to toughen up the end of your stump so you can stand on it. And one of the therapies I had to do was they piled up books in a pile and put a bathroom scale on top. And a nurse would, you know, stand beside me and say, here, push on the scale with your stump. Three pounds isn't enough. Push, push harder. And I was crying. <laughs> I think if I was that nurse sitting there with a five-year-old girl who's crying and in pain, I'd be like, cookie break. <laughs> and what was so fabulous is, you know, she pushed me through pain to toughen myself up. And that's such a great life lesson is that you have to get through the hard stuff. And everybody has different things. You know, other kids didn't have to push on a scale, but, you know, maybe they weren't good at math. I was good at math. You know, we all have our own thing that we have to push through. But what I realized later in life is as a child, there are people to push you. There are teachers, there are coaches, there are parents. But as an adult, we don't get pushed beyond our abilities unless we give someone permission. And so I look for people like that nurse to bring into my life who are going to push me because I have a lot of willpower. Sure, I'm tough, but I can only go so far on my own steam. But when I get other people to push me harder, I can break through. Who are you looking to to push you? Um, gosh, in different areas, you know, everything. I travel a lot and I'm in restaurants all the time. So uh, I need to worry about my health and my weight. And so I, I have, I'm going through a process of working with a trainer, you know, and having somebody to push me on that side. But on the business growth side as well is we're going through an evolution to scale up to a new level. And I've got several different people that are pushing me in different ways to, to operate at a higher level. How can women know if they should push through pain or give up? Wow, that's an interesting question. I, um, I was reflecting on my life and thinking about how I made decisions like that. And I, I came up with a metaphor of saying I've, I've always had a portfolio of goals. So a lot of people will say, you know, burn the boats behind you, never give up. And that's really not been my experience of how I operate. But another way to think of it is you wouldn't put all your investment in one basket. You know, you diversify your portfolio because some things work, some things don't. You're going to put more in this, get less of that. You're going to respond to the market. Mm -hmm. So you can do the same thing with your goals and dreams. And you can have different things that you're working on and say, well, this is working, so I'll do more of it. Or this isn't working, so I'll stop. So it's not like quitting, like laying down and dying. It's just saying, I'm going to eliminate that out of my portfolio because it's not working. Does that answer your question? I think so. You later went on to become one of the first African-American women to win a medal in the Winter Olympics. How did you discover your passion for skiing? A friend of mine in high school invited me to go skiing with her family. And I remember she took a piece of notebook paper and made a little certificate out of notebook paper for my birthday and, and gave it to me. My birthday's in November. But then I had to find a way to, to get myself organized to go with her over Christmas vacation. So I had to find the special equipment for a one-legged skier. Um, it, it was really difficult. And uh, and then when we went out the first time, I kept falling and falling. And her and her brothers took turns picking me up. And uh, it, it was really hard to start. You won the bronze medal in the Olympics, but you realized there was one key difference between you and the woman who won the gold. What was that? Well, I was in the slalom race. And uh, I was the third ranked one legged woman in the United States. So nobody expected me to beat my teammates, never mind anybody else. So when I came down the first run of the slalom in the Paralympics in Innsbruck, Austria, and my time was in first place, it was an upset. 
but I had trained all summer on a glacier with two-legged skiers. I had just outworked everybody. So I, I, I surprised everybody. So I'm in first place after the first run, but it takes two runs to win the medal. So in the second run, uh, it's a different course. Anybody who doesn't ski race may not know this. It's not the same course all the time. It's a totally different course because the snow gets all chewed up on the first run. So it's a new course. So on the second course, I'm waiting, the second run, I'm waiting my turn and other women are going down and they radio up from the bottom and tell us that women are crashing. So on this new course we haven't skied before, there's this dangerous icy spot and women are crashing. So when it gets to be my turn, I'm, I'm thinking no heroics. You know, if I just stay standing and don't crash like the other women, I can win the gold because I'm in first place. So I, I, the race official counts down three, two, one, go. I break out of the starting gate. I'm hitting the, the poles and I get to where I can see the finish line. I think I've made it. And that's when I hit that dangerous icy spot. And I, I ski on one leg. I don't wear my prosthesis when I'm skiing. So I tried to hold on to my edge. I tried to stay standing. I couldn't do it. I fell on my rear end. I was number one in the world. And then I'm sitting in the snow. So, you know, at that moment, I just wanted to disappear, not to face my mom, my sponsors, everything. But I grabbed my equipment. I got over the finish line. And when the dust cleared, it turned out that the uh, the I was in third place. So I got to go to the award ceremony, have the bronze medal put around my neck. And I thought about it later. And I thought, wow, you know, I could have won the gold. I should have won the gold. And the woman who won, it wasn't because she didn't fall on that icy spot. She also fell and got up. Now, I skied. I was the fastest skier when nothing went wrong. I was the better skier. How did she beat me? She couldn't ski faster than me. She got up faster than me. So I was actually quoted on a Starbucks cup. They did a campaign where they put quotes on Starbucks cups, and it said, people fall down, winners get up, but the gold medal winner is just the person who gets up the fastest. You mentioned you suffered sexual abuse as a child. What's your advice for other survivors? Well, for a long time, I just suppressed all the memories and and just went on with my life. And eventually, though, I had to do some work to heal some of the wounds, especially to be a mother. And uh, as as my own daughter hit the same age as that I was, a lot of uh, issues came up. And I really had to do the work. I, I realized if I was going to be a mother, I needed to, to heal some of my own wounds because otherwise I couldn't pay attention. I couldn't be present. I literally was dissociating around my daughter. And I, I thought I was going to lose my mind. I could have started drinking. You know, I, I had to do the work. And that meant EMDR. I, mean, I think that can mean a lot of things. I think it can mean yoga. I think it can mean exercise. I think it can mean therapy. It, it, it means you have to figure out what it's going to take you to heal enough that you can be present. What's your advice for women who feel defined by something difficult in their lives? I guess my advice would be that you always have the choice to define yourself. And I guess you would say that I'm a pretty good example of that is uh, as the one-legged African-American woman, uh, ski racer is not the first thing that would come to mind, you know. And so deciding that that's who I'm going to be wasn't somebody else's choice wasn't the obvious choice. I think we all get a chance to be the author of our own stories. And it's interesting, I've written a number of books, and literally writing books is a way of authoring your own story and telling people who you are and deciding who you are and being defined by who you want to be. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. 
Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The Future of Everything podcast from The Wall Street Journal. Another new episode is coming soon as we look at science, technology, and their influence on our lives. The Future of Everything podcast from The Wall Street Journal. The future is closer than you think. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. Where do you draw your strength from? That's a great question. Um, so many places. I, I'm a person of faith, so I certainly draw it from prayer. I wrote a book called How Strong Women Pray. And I, and in that book, I talk a lot about the healing from sexual abuse. So if that's something any listener is interested in, you can you can go there and hear more about how that went for me. But um, I, prayer is really important to me. Uh, faith. Uh, there's a, a monastery on the Hudson River that I like to go to, to to draw strength. And the monks all know me there. And it's great to have to show up and have all the monks say, hey, how are you? We missed you. Um, but also from other women friends and uh, the, the people who push me. We talked about having people that push me in my life to be a better person. Um, I, I draw strength from a lot of different sources. What's one tip you can give women who want to develop more emotional resilience? You know, it's funny. I, I would say exercise is really important because it does help clear out some of the the hormones that we get uh, from feeling attacked or feeling threatened. The, the book that I wrote, Micro Resilience, is a lot about small ways to be more resilient mentally, emotionally, physically, all of those things. And uh, there's there's one uh, exercise in the book, Reversi, that's really simple and really fun, is you can take an index card and write a limitation that you're experiencing on one side. So people who are listening, you can do this right now. Write a limitation you're, you're feeling and then flip it over and write the opposite. So I've had people write things like, uh, I didn't get the budget increase I wanted, so I can't do creative things in my department. Flip over the card and say, I can do innovative things in my department. And it might sound impossible or ridiculous, but you write it anyway just to flip your thinking. I had one woman, I was actually doing a radio show, and I had one woman email me afterwards, and she said, I was listening to the radio show, and I wrote down, I'm going to lose my house after the divorce. So she flipped over the card and wrote, I can keep my house after the divorce. And what it does is it just jogs your thinking. It's like, try on the idea that your limit isn't real. And the woman with the house said, once I wrote, I can keep my house after the divorce, I started thinking, you know, my mother is aging. And in a few years, she really won't be able to live on her own. She's fine now. But if I move her in now with our combined incomes, I can keep my house. So when she stopped believing in the reality of her limit, she found another solution. And the person who said uh, the budget increase, and this sounds so obvious once you say it, but he flipped over the card. He wrote, I can do innovative things. And he thought, you know, if I reprioritize the spending in my budget, I can eliminate some of the older things and I can do innovative things. You know, so we just get stuck sometimes in our thinking. What's your advice for women who have a negative body image? Wow, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I have one leg. <laughs> I grew up in San Diego, California. So 
every kid had a beach party for their birthday, and you know, and you go in bathing suits. And for me to go in the water, I have to take off my leg and hop into the ocean. And so it was not, you know, my girlfriends would go, "Oh my gosh, I have a scar on my knee." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I'm missing one of my legs." You know, really? You want me to sympathize with you? Um, I think you have to just love yourself, and you have to find out what's good about yourself, and. I, you know, I'd found skiing. Uh, in skiing, I hung around with other people with disabilities, and so it wasn't so odd, you know. And I, I was able to laugh about it and 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 just learn to love myself and what I could do, um, and not. It's almost like can you tune out the negativity? So if you if you don't have a positive body image, don't sit around reading fashion magazines, you know, and don't look at airbrushed fake versions of other women and compare yourself to that. So. What are you doing to reinforce a positive feeling about your body? You've talked about racism from your own family. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you handled it? My uncle, my father's brother, uh, I hadn't seen him since my father's funeral. My father died when I was 12. And when I moved to New York, I uh, reached out and, and got in touch. And this was decades later. And... Uh, asked him to tell me more about my father because I didn't know my father. And he met up with me and made it clear at that lunch that he only met up with me to share a little bit of information about my father and never wanted to see me again and didn't want me to ever meet his children And because I was black. And so my, my father is white and his brother is white and, uh, and I'm, my mother is black. And he, he actually said during this luncheon, Having a black person in my family is like being gay, and I don't want to be outed. <laughs> like, how Horrible. many people can you insult in one sentence? The interesting thing is, is some of the extended family recently has reached out on <clears throat> social media and and gotten in touch. And so, parts of the family that I've never been in touch with, parts of the white family I've never been in touch with, um, we're you know the next generation, couple of generations down, you know, is is reaching out. So. Uh, I guess I'd like to say I'm I'm hopeful, but I'm also realistic. And so people who think, oh, you look at Bonnie St. John and she's won Olympic medals and she went to Harvard and she's so successful. She doesn't face any discrimination. You know, that's horrible discrimination to have your uncle look you in the eye and say, I don't care how successful you are. You're black and I don't want anyone to know that I know you. That's, you know, that's horrible in this day and age. And that's real. And I think, if I may say, I think it's important for good white people to understand that's still going on in this country and not just because you're a good person. It's important that you don't close your eyes to it because you condone it when you pretend that that's not happening. And so um, I think it's important to be aware, but I think we can also be very hopeful that the future can be better and that we can connect what do you say to companies that want to become more diverse, but they say there's a pipeline problem? Well, our company, Blue Circle Leadership, actually uh, provides programs to help companies expand their pipeline of diverse leaders. And that's something that, that we love to do. We, we have a virtual program because you want to go earlier in the pipeline. So a lot of the fly everybody in for four days of training is, is so expensive, you, you can't afford to do that early in the pipeline for a wide variety of people. So we run a virtual program, but it's very high touch, very, very high impactful. Um, I was talking to a couple of women last night from Singapore who are in the program. 
and was talking to them about uh, some of the challenges as a woman and some of the challenges as an Asian person working for an American company. And uh, many of the people come in the program too think, I just put my head down and I work hard and that's that's the way to succeed. So why do we need a program for this? And I, I told them a story about bike biking. So uh, over Labor Day weekend, I went on a 20-mile bike ride, and then the next day I went on a 22-mile bike ride. <laughs> and after the second day, I couldn't sit in my seat anymore. And I, with my leg, I often cope by just ignoring it. And I just do what everybody else does. I work hard. I put my head down, and I, I try to do the best I can. And so I had done that, and I'd been biking, but it wasn't working. I finally stopped and said, let me think about how my leg is affecting what's going on here. And I was brainstorming with my husband, and he suggested that I put on my bike shorts under my leg. So the normal thing to do is put on my leg and then put on my bike shorts. But I did it the other way around. And so my bike shorts were, were staying closer and protecting my body better. They weren't getting affected by my leg. Anyway, it's probably too much information. But, but the point was, if I was willing to think carefully about what's different about me, I could make a minor adjustment that's going to allow me to bike a lot better. And, and my husband and I are going on a vacation in California where we're going to be biking 20 miles for you know six days in a row. But if I'm not willing to think about how I'm different and make a small adjustment, I can't do that. And so putting the bike shorts on differently is going to allow me to get ahead with a lot less pain. So that's, that's what we do in our course is help people to think about their differences, not to say, oh, I'm being discriminated against or, oh, it's so unfair. But what are some small adjustments you can make that help you to get ahead with a lot less pain? You're a woman and have a disability and are African-American. You belong to three groups that face pay gaps. Has that been an issue for you? Again, it's what I was saying about the bike shorts is you have to be smart about what's different about you and you have to create value and, uh, and, and make adjustments. One of, one of the things we see for multicultural women in our courses is that one of the problems they face is excessive politeness. And you wouldn't think of that as a problem. And a lot of the women don't even realize that that's a problem. Everybody's nice to me. I'm not facing any discrimination. This is all good. But if you're, if you're not getting the tough, honest feedback, you can't make course corrections that are going to allow you to get ahead. Um, often, the person who's the go-to person, you know, the person that the boss goes to when there's a weekend, you know, I got to work over the weekend, I got to get something in, you know, that person is going to get the most training and they're going to have more opportunities for advancement. And if you're, if everybody's being excessively polite to you, A, because you're a woman, B, because you're Asian or you're, you're Latina, you know, you're not going to get those opportunities. And so part of the course correction that a multicultural woman might want to make is how do I get the boss comfortable enough with me that he can be tough? You know, how do I build that trust or that informal relationship that he can push me? We're talking about having people, you know, push you hard. How do I get that so that they're not just being polite to me, but they're pushing me and that's going to make me successful? As a business owner, you face an uneven income. How do you deal with those fluctuations? Well, you have to be smart. Um, you you create wealth. You don't spend everything. You don't live beyond your means. And uh, and you plan ahead. And, and you have to be strategic so that you uh, you plan. I've always been in several lines of business. And some of them are up and some of them are down at different times. And uh it's, it's like any other business. You have to be smart and plan and diversify. What's the best investment advice you ever received? The best investment advice I've ever received? 
actually, this is this is an interesting thing is for multicultural women uh, in this economy. One of the things that that happens is that often multicultural women are the most successful person in their family. And so uh, I was getting advice from uh, a man who's been very successful in private equity, and he's black. And he was talking about the tax, the hidden tax that minorities often pay, which is that when you're very successful, when you're the most successful person in your family, they expect you to help everybody else. So can you help this one with college? Can you buy the Air Jordans for Christmas for this one? Can you, you know, do that? And so you're expected. And if you were giving to a charity, you would get a tax deduction. <laughs> but if you're giving to your extended family, you're not getting that tax deduction. And the advice he gave, which I think is really powerful, and this isn't just for multicultural women. So this is anybody who doesn't come from money and you've become successful is you could find yourself in that position, right, where you're, you're trying to help your extended family. And he, he's, you know, he said you really have to set boundaries. You really have to build your wealth first. If you're paying that tax excessively, you'll never build your own wealth. And then there's limits to how much you can help. And he did something really creative. He, he was helping and helping and helping everyone. And he, he realized he couldn't really lift their boats, uh, and so he he said one year, I'm not doing Christmas presents this year. This is you know this has gotten completely out of hand. And he started in March, and he said, my gift to everybody is going to be to give you financial advice. And so instead of giving people a fish, he was really going to teach them how to fish. And he said he spent three hours with each of 19 families in his extended family, and you know help them with financial planning, with rethinking their decisions. And then he got some of them together, and he says, you know. You make $40,000 a year, and you think if you could just make sixty, everything would be fine. This one makes 80000 a year, and he's in debt too, and he just thinks if he could make $120,000, he'd be fine. You know? and, and he really got them together to really think about how could they be wealthy without just trying to ask him for, for help. So I think that's a really important piece of advice for anyone who doesn't come from money that is successful is – how do you bring other people along without destroying yourself? You're on the White House National Economic Council. What's the greatest challenge facing minority women in this economy? Well, it's a it's a very mixed economy. I mean, there's par- pockets of the economy that are doing incredibly well. There's innovation, there's growth, there's a lot of opportunity in technology, and then, you know, there's other places that are struggling. And so I think it's making sure you're creating value, making sure that you have the skills to be in the forefront of the economy so that you can be survive, you can be thriving. Um, when I get the opportunity to be backstage when I'm doing keynote speeches with CEOs and C-suites and thought leaders and, and all kinds of people and hearing the candid discussions they're having backstage, and in every industry, we are going through major disruption and transformation. If you can help companies to get through that and to be more competitive and, and to come out the other end, uh, you, you won't have a problem. <laughs> Time now for your secrets. I'm Bonnie St. John. My money secret is create value. Think about what is the value I'm creating. You take a risk whether you work for somebody else or not. And so if you're creating value, that's your greatest job security. That's your greatest way to create wealth. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos with special help from J.R. Whalen. John Wardock is the executive producer of WSJ Podcasts. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. What's your secret? Let us know. 
write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter, use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women.